Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference Podcast. The conference took place in University College Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of September 2011 and saw over 50 speakers from Ireland and beyond come together to share their ideas in an interdisciplinary forum. In association with HistoryHub.ie, the majority of the papers are available for podcasting via the HistoryHub.ie website and on iTunes. In this episode, a recording of a paper by independent scholar Gertie Keane. Her research interests include medieval and post-medieval archaeology. Her paper is entitled Great Stone Houses, Kilkenny and its Early Modern Townhouses, 1550-1650. As an Anglo-Norman settlement, Kilkenny became a thriving, prosperous medieval town. By the mid-16th century, strong international links existed with Europe, politically, economically, culturally, so that Kilkenny was a place for the exchange of ideas as well as goods. These strong international links, uh, combined with the powerful stable influence and patronage of the 10th Earl of Ormond, Thomas Butler, ensured that Kilkenny was protected from the profound social and political change and turmoil associated with the early modern period. Consequently, between 1550 and 1650, Kilkenny enjoyed sustained prosperity and was transformed from a medieval town to what has been described as a Renaissance city. Just looking at the map here, uh, within the wall centre of Kilkenny, which you can see here, just the dotted line, um, in the medieval and early modern period, High Street functioned as a ceremonial route between Kilkenny Castle in the south and St. Canis' Cathedral in the north, as well as the town's principal marketplace and centre of commerce. Among the key buildings and locations in this area was the marketplace itself, which I'm trying to point out just here, um, with the market cross as the focal point, and the Tholsil, which was relocated to the southeastern side of the marketplace about 1579. Similarly, St Mary's Church, again, you can see it here, uh, which had been the parish church of the Burgesses prior to the Reformation. Medieval laneways and slips also linked High Street to the western town wall, you can see them running off uh, to the west, uh, and to the Nor on the east. Again, we have the Nor running along here, such as St Mary's Lane, which runs just in this particular area here, around by the church, uh, leading from the High Street onto the River Nor. Kilkenny's early modern townhouses were built by the wealthy and aspiring merchant elite of the town and particularly the ruling oligarchy of around 10 families who controlled Kilkenny from the 14th to the 17th century. So, if there's anybody in this audience uh, with the family name of Archer, Archdeacon, Cowley, Knaresborough, Langton, Lawless, Lee, Raggett, Roth or She, you could be related to Kilkenny's early modern oligarchy. It's not known exactly how many of these townhouses were built in Kilkenny, but Neely's analysis from 1989 of the Civil Survey of 1650 states that the number recorded was about 150, out of a total housing stock of 250, the largest of which was 162 foot long, and the (coughs) largest single group of which was of moderate-sized townhouses. Many of these townhouses are still upstanding today, in whole or in part, although which, as we shall see from subsequent slides, many are concealed behind later facades. And I may add that this is very much a tale of uh, don't judge a book by its cover. 
A range of townhouse plans existed in the city based on townhouses being placed parallel to the street at Rank Angles to it or sometimes a combination of both and were adapted to the constraints of the urban environment where the long burgers plots ran at right angles to the streets. You can see the burgers plots here running off in this direction both sides. In doing so, they show parallels both with merchant house plan types in many English medieval towns and within a national context to some of the early modern uh, uh, excuse me, to some of the early modern merchants' townhouses in Galway, where the layout of the houses around a courtyard was also a feature. In Kilkenny, however, there are also some examples of houses with courtyards or a plot of ground lying between the house and the street. The layout of, the, of those built along the street gave maximum commercial use of both the frontage along the main thoroughfare of the town as well as optimising any commercial opportunity that existed to the rear. These plans also <coughs> ensured dual access for the merchant elite to and from many of their townhouse complexes by the interrelationships of slips and courtyards within them. The transition from medieval town to renaissance city was not sudden, however. It seems certain that echoes of the medieval inheritance still existed within early modern Kilkenny right up to the mid-17th century, since although the architecture of many of the early modern townhouses of the city showed clear contemporary influences, the plans of many of the larger townhouses in particular have a medieval footprint. As is parallel both within the rural context throughout many parts of Ireland and in the urban context of Galway, elements of continuity can also be identified in 17th century Kilkenny intertwined with elements of change. For example, many house complexes also consisted of a combination of materials, with stone walled slated townhouses also having substantial additional buildings within their complexes constructed in total or in part of organic material. Thatched houses with either part stone and or part wattle and clay walls also continued to exist in parts of the city. In Ireland, the European Renaissance heralded in a new architecture which was accompanied by an increased formality both in the spatial arrangement of houses and in household relations between family and servants, resulting in a new social order with an increasing emphasis on sophistication, civility, privacy, comfort and hospitality. These changes in social values meant that houses were either replaced or adapted by adding on extensions or wings, resulting in a gradual shift of the centre of household life from the medieval hall to, to other apartments with specific functions. Certain patterns can be found in the architecture and layout of Kilkenny's townhouses, which suggest that many of the merchant classes embraced this new architecture and changing concepts in social ordering and class identity in the style and layout of their new townhouses, while at the same time adopting their townhouse pl- adapting their townhouse plans to fit the constraints of a medieval urban environment. The architecture of many of the larger townhouses was distinctly Renaissance in influence, with the merchant elite emulating on a smaller scale the rural houses built by the nobility within the Irish countryside. Like Ormond Castle, County Tipperary, built by Thomas Butler, and we shall see it here just on the right, uh, 10th Earl of Ormond in the early modern period, Roach House, for example, which is the house we see in the rest of the slide, 
uh, for example, shows little exterior ornamentation other than the decorative elements in the fenestration, including the oriel window at first floor level, which is just here. And the armorial plaque, which adorns, uh, which adorns uh, the facade. Height reflected status in the early modern period, and so the dramatic roof lines with high gables and massive chimney stacks projecting this, the house skywards conveyed power and domination architecturally across the city. Symmetrical classicism became the order of the day, with the elite also becoming increasingly aware of the relationship between house plans and interiors. The lack of exterior ornamentation belied the interior decor, judging by the, lux- the items of luxury itemised in the wills of some of the merchant elite, including that of Sir Richard Shee in 1587, John Roth in 1620, and another member of Kilkenny's oligarchy, Walter Lawless, in 1627. These wills reveal a great deal about the lives of the rich merchant families, showing them to be very much part of the Renaissance-influenced world of Elizabethan and Jacobean society, and certainly reflecting the age of increasing consumption and capitalism. The preservation of many of the original architectural features and plans of some of the larger, well-known townhouses offered the opportunity to extract some of the meanings which their patrons might have wished to convey and which their observers of different social backgrounds might have seen in these houses. This was akin to the trend in the rural context from the latter years of the 16th century among the early modern elite, regardless of ethnic background, native and planter alike, who sought to display their social position and civility through their chattels and surroundings. Many of the older tower houses, along with newly constructed tower houses and the new type of large-scale domestic architecture, the so-called fortified house, such as Portumna Castle, County Galway, uh, adopted a hierarchical arrangement of rooms, whether vertically, as in tower houses, or horizontally arranged, as with the new large-scale fortified houses, Kilkenny's townhouses, rather than just being static stone buildings, fulfilling a practical commercial function, were important and expensive statements of social identity. In this respect, their location within the city held a symbolic significance, both relatively and strategically. Therefore, the positioning of these townhouses relative to one another, to the castle, the market square, the Market Cross, the Tulsa, all of which we see here, some of which you see here, and the Parish Church of St Mary's spoke volumes in early modern Kilkenny of the prestige, wealth and civility of their individual patrons. The positioning of slips and courtyard within townhouse complex and the interrelationship of townhouses with slips also meant that these powerful merchants could monitor and, if necessary, control both access and to and from their properties, as well as activities within their courtyards. Like many other medieval towns throughout Ireland, the marketplace of Kilkenny was both the commercial heart of Hightown and one of the principal gathering places of the city, while the Tulsa fronts the square and served the merchant as a guild hall and meeting place and also functioned as a custom house and courthouse. Equally, as the locus of civic and spiritual ritual, the building of lavish Renaissance tombs by many of the merchant elite in St Mary's Church sometime before 1620 
attests both to the wealth of the Merton elite and the significance they attached to their parish church despite the difficulties experienced during the Reformation. That a symbiotic commercial spiritual relationship between the market square, the Thals and St Mary's existed is evidenced by their shared access off St Mary's Lane, which we saw earlier on the map, and the presence of the market cross on the left here, acting as a symbol of spiritual guidance over commercial ventures. This symbolic link is paralleled in many other medieval towns throughout Ireland, such as Feather, County Tipperary. As such, many of the largest townhouses were centred on the Market Cross, the Marketplace, the Thalsal and St Mary's, and these two became part of the stage setting around which and through which social identities were enacted at various levels. Although the civil uh, survey records several more townhouses within the Market Square and elsewhere in Town, with unfamiliar names associated with them, what makes them many of the extant townhouses distinguishable are the armorial plaques which are still in situ on several facades. These armorial plaques simultaneously demonstrated their patrons' honourable lineage and their exalted presence in society to the uneducated and educated alike. And, and, and while to the latter, as Renaissance features, they combined with the refined classical architecture of the house to represent their patrons as of the most civil kind. Equally, to the north of the high street towards the castle, the Thalsal and St Mary's Church stand in a symbolic relationship of identity with some of the largest townhouses in the city, namely the townhouse of Henry Shee, which you see here on the, what it looked like in the, in the uh, 1800s, mid-1800s. Um, on the east side, <coughs> with four of the largest townhouses in the city, including what's known as the Archer Townhouse, uh, standing fronting the entrance of St Mary's Church and the Thalsal, respectively. The position of these townhouses relative to one another and to these landmarks is noteworthy. Considered from the experience of a visitor to Kilkenny in the early modern period, passing from the castle into the high street towards the Thalsal, the vista along high street was not revealed immediately. Rather, as the visitor approached from the castle along the curving narrow street, the eye was drawn from one focal point of interest to another. For example, approaching along the west side of the street, that side, um, of the high street, one of the first large townhouses to draw the eye was the massive townhouse of Henry Shee, on the right, uh, on the east side. At this point, the eye is then drawn diagonally northwest towards the Archer townhouse, which is this different house here. Um, which projects into the street beyond the street line of the townhouses in between. It is only at the Henry Shee townhouses that two of the large townhouses flanking south, the south side of Walkham Street leading to the town wall and importantly the Tulsa were revealed to the visitor. Indeed it could be suggested that there was a, a spatial mirroring between the Archer House and the Tulsa as both buildings project beyond the street line and in between which uh, uh, excuse me and in between which there is a suggested northeast southwest spatial axis it was only at the archer house that the entrance to st mary's church was revealed immediately opposite on the east side 
The final stage of experience for the visitor passing from the castle was at the Thalsal itself, which opens onto the stage setting of the marketplace. Interestingly, if, as the historical evidence suggests, that some houses were built with a forecourt fronting the street, it is only as the visitor enters this stage that some of these houses become visible. Nevertheless, this suggests a ceremonial approach to the many large townhouses. It is noteworthy that some individuals in the early 17th century were becoming aware of the aesthetic principles behind landscape setting, with emphasis on the significance of the location and setting of a building in the landscape and vista. The formal gardens of some of the large townhouses, for example, show that the merchant elite extended their awareness and understanding of the principles of classicism beyond the actual architecture of their townhouses and incorporated a holistic approach. This suggests that the patrons of these townhouses used the existing ceremonial route through High Town to construct an urban landscape of townhouses, using the medieval framework of the street to build some of the most prestigious and largest of the townhouses at the most strategic, excuse me, at the most strategic locations on the route. In doing so, did they create a controlled vista of townhouses, including many with former forecourts, viewing points and viewing points to admire the vista? as well as creating conditions appropriate to civil discourse. In view of this, it is not insignificant either that Henry Shee's townhouse was built directly opposite one of the most strategic strategic points of uh, entry into the city in the early modern period. The entry from the east sorry, excuse me, from the south southeast through Walkinsgate and Walken Street, suggesting that the street became a formal avenue uh, to the house. Sorry. Oh, here we go. Yeah. To the house. Significantly, also, the archaeological evidence indicated that originally the cemetery associated with St Mary's Church extended beyond the current boundary wall of the graveyard, and so, based on a 16th-century date applied to the surviving cobbling in the lane, it is not contemporary with the site's earliest use as a cemetery. Therefore. It raises the question as to whether the boundary wall of the graveyard was moved to accommodate the building of Henry Shee's complex, which extends to St Mary's Lane and other houses along the lane, and if so, why? Whatever the reason may have been, the movement of the boundary of the cemetery was a highly significant occurrence and would have required considerable civic power. The historical evidence, however, regarding the building of Nicholas Langton's townhouse, which we see here, uh, fronting the marketplace, well illustrates that these ruling families could, weld, could wield such power in their own interest. The site in which Nicholas Langton's, Langton built his great house, just north of the Tulsa, was originally part of the Frerenland, or local abbey property, prior to the dissolution of the monasteries. <coughs> Adjoining the, house in which, uh, me, adjoining the house in which Nicholas Langton then lived and consequently was one of the most prestigious locations in the city. Under the terms of a fee farm lease, he was granted the land in 1602 and obliged by the corporation to erect a public shambles and corn market on the site. By 1609, for unknown reasons, the terms of the lease had been changed and he was released from the obligation imposed on him. And the prime location, thus fronting the marketplace, thus became the site of his huge townhouse, townhouse complex. 
It is noteworthy that in the intervening period when the ter- terms were changed, Nicholas Langton was sovereign in 1606 of Kilkenny <laughs> and said to be responsible for re- negotiating the Royal Charter of Kilkenny with King James in 1609. And therefore, it could be suggested that it was a time in which he re- wielded the most considerable power to also effect change on his own behalf. It seems all the more remarkable considering that the corporation at the time were incorporating strict penalties within leases and planning permissions if individuals uh, did not adhere to strict building requirements and timeframes across the city. And finally, returning to John Rote, and in doing so, giving the last word to him. Surely it is not purely coincidental that just as John Rote located his townhouse on High Street, as that Rote house which we saw earlier, uh, just opposite that of the richest man in Kilkenny, apart from the Earl of Ormond, that of Sir Richard Shee, so also he must have recognised the equally symbolic significance of their shared resting place in death. It seems social calculation in the early modern period knew few boundaries, whether in the location and positioning of a final resting place in death or in the location and positioning of many of Kilkenny's townhouses. Thank you very much.